This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to the Broadcast Podcast. Today we're bringing a session that Terry Virgo taught at a recent church hub gathering where he reflected on some of the early days of the New Frontiers movement and what were some of the distinctives at that time and challenges maybe where the church is losing some of those things today. It was a really provocative and challenging session. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. So here is Terry Virgo. Okay, I want to um, take us back into the Old Testament and uh, I'm in Ezra chapter 1. I feel stirred to take you to this passage because it takes me back to some of the early roots of what uh, New Frontiers started as, which was looking at the theme of restoration. Now, restoration was a key word when we got started, but a word that you don't often hear in our circle anymore which is uh, a bit sad from my point of view uh, because it was one of the passions that got us going obviously revival is uh, something we all long for I trust and I still go every Wednesday morning to pray with friends for revival we might see revival come in our nation and still long for it and reformation is also hugely important and uh, renewal but actually restoration was the word that we lived with particularly uh, God restoring his church and uh, that's what I want to speak about and we're going to look at Ezra a little bit in this opening chapter together Father thank you again for the joy of fellowship the new people we're meeting, new friends we're making and we do pray Holy Spirit that you would really come right now resting upon us Lord we might engage with you finding your promptings anointing our ears to hear Lord we sense your being here Holy Spirit come upon us we pray we really want to engage with you Lord help us in it Father we do pray in Jesus name Amen Amen I'll just read the passage first that I thought we'd uh, base our thoughts on. We're going to expound the verses as such, but some of the principles and feelings that are there. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, King of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He's appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you, of all his people, may his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who's in Jerusalem. Every survivor of whatever place he may live, let the men of that place support him with silver and gold, goods and cattle, together with a free will offering for the house of God, which is in (coughs) Jerusalem. 
Then the heads of the father's households of Judah and Benjamin, the priests and the Levites, arose, even everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up and rebuild the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. Just like to um, look at the kind of historic perspective, it was in order, it says in the first verse, to fulfill the word of the Lord through the mouth of Jeremiah. What does that mean? Well, let's just remind ourselves, very quick overview. Uh, when God created Adam, he's called the Son of God. He is perfect. He represents God. He is a stunning creation. He and Eve are a stunning creation. They're told to fill the earth. They're told to reproduce the presence of God, if you like, right around the world, to bring in the dominion of God, uh, to represent God as his ambassadors, his image. Uh, God's image is going to be all over the world. God's presence manifested in his son and the sons of his son. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful vision. And of course we know the tragedy of uh, Adam and Eve's fall, uh, their, their death, uh, the, the, the day they eat it they die and uh, the word death comes quite frequently in, uh, I think, uh, in uh, Genesis 5 it says such and such was born and he died this one was born and he died he was born and died death has come in uh, the human race is outside of Eden the human race is away from the presence of God it's existing but it's dead in trespasses and sins it's uh, walking around dead uh, that's uh, the Bible's assessment. They're outside of the presence of God. So the human race which was meant to carry the presence of God into the world is now away from the presence of God. And then we find with Abraham, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. So God's program of redemption gets underway. The God of glory appeared as a human being having a revelation of God which was kind of wow God started his plan and says to Abraham can you count the stars so many will your children be uh, through your seed all the families of the earth will be blessed it's a phenomenal promise global in its impact they now have a promise from God they have relationship with God Abraham justified by faith he's now the friend of God one human being on planet earth is now alive living in fellowship with God God has come to him and uh, then we get the story Abraham, Isaac, Jacob they made similar promises and then Joseph and going down into Egypt and uh, we all know that story and then God had said to them about being fruitful, multiplying and that happens in Egypt they become two million in Egypt the promise to be fruitful and multiply happens there until Pharaoh is saying hey what are these people this is dangerous we've got a, a two million people in our world we don't need them and he starts to say let's kill their firstborn and so on and then God appears to Moses and this phenomenal thing Moses uh, having messed up and run away gets freshly engaged with God uh, burning bush the call uh, uh, Moses by name uh, who am I to do such a thing I am that I am this phenomenal revelation of God the, the biggest revelation up till that point uh, and I'm going to do this thing now you're going to take these people out from uh, Egypt and out of Egypt he calls his son so we're now back on uh, course again Adam my son 
now out of Egypt I call my son. Here's the new, uh, new people of God on the move. And, uh, you know, they go through baptism, resurrection, through the Red Sea. Out of Egypt, I call my son. He's redeemed through blood, Passover. God's starting again, if you like, with this people. That through this seed, this people, all the families of the earth will be blessed. They carry in them the Christ is going to come from that company. That's God's plan. It's going back on again. It's on course again. And he's going to bring them into the land. And he said, that it's a land I'm, I'm going to be constantly caring for. My presence will be there. You'll get rain in its seasons, harvest. And I'll bless you, bless you, bless you. And uh, it's a land with cities you've not built. Vineyards you've not planted. In other words, it's like a new creation. I'm starting again. I'm taking my son, my people, into a new Eden, a new land that I've created, a new people, uh, cities you've not built, vineyards you've not planted. It's a new creation. I'm taking you in. But just as God spoke to Adam at the very beginning, you mustn't do that. You mustn't take of that tree. Similarly, now God says, but if you go after false gods, uh, I'll throw you out. You'll go out of the land. That. Uh, it's a sim very similar, so here we go again kind of thing. Adam, Eve, creation, beautiful thing, but thrown out. Then God starts again. Now here we go into a land I'm giving you, a land of milk and honey, beautiful land, I'll bless it. But if you, if you, if you go after other gods, I'll throw you out. And then gradually, you know, prophet after prophet comes and says, look, stop it, don't do this, stop it, stop it. Until in the end, Jeremiah says you're out of here, effectively. So they are thrown out of the garden, they're thrown out of the land. The same thing kind of happens again. Uh, but Jeremiah does say, after 70 years you'll come back. Because God has not abandoned his plan. God gave Abram a promise. It's going to happen. And there were setbacks. Uh, but God's plan will be fulfilled. Right, God is on a mission which started when he spoke to Abraham. God is on a mission. He will fulfill his mission. Sometimes churches say, well, what about our mission statement? I'll, get, I'll come at our mission statement, get, if we can get God interested in our mission. No, God's on a mission. He'd like to get us interested in his mission. And his goal is that all the families of the earth will be blessed. He's committed to it. And it's interesting that when the spies first went and looked at the land, you remember Moses sent the 12 spies in and they came back and they said, we can't do it. Uh, we can't get in there. I mean, uh, the, the guys are giants. And the cities are walled up to heaven. I mean, we can't do it. And, and amazing what God says. God says, how long will these people despise me? It's like, no, 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 we're not despising you. It's the cities and the giants. And God, God takes that unbelief personally. How long will you despise me? I find that very awakening. Unbelief. God takes it personally because he said go in and then God says this as surely as I live and someone said whatever comes next is going to happen whatever God says after that as surely as I live what does he say you will get into the land he says no no at that point he says as surely as I live all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord in other words, your hesitation in going into the land 
It's just stopping me for a season accomplishing what I will ultimately accomplish. But it's, it's only going to be a short time. It's going to be 40 years wandering around. And church goes through years of what's going on? You know, then God raises up a Luther, raises up a Whitfield, raises up. God starts again. God does not abandon what he's about to do. And, and COVID doesn't mean God's abandoned what he's going to do. And so you find Ezra chapter 1 starts with to fulfill the word of the Lord through the mouth of Jeremiah the prophet. Well, who's Jeremiah? A guy we completely ignore. The Israelites put him in a hole in the ground, called him a traitor, called him no prophet at all. God called uh, Jeremiah, and God's word to Jeremiah when he was called was this, I am watching over my word to perform it. That's what he said to Jeremiah. That's your call, and I'm watching over it. I will perform it. Men ignored him. Men threw him in a hole. Ezra chapter 1 starts in order to fulfill the word of the Lord through the mouth of Jeremiah. Cyrus, the most powerful emperor of his day, changed his foreign policy. It's wonderful, isn't it? In order to fulfill the word of the Lord. In order to fulfill the prophecy that Jeremiah brought, Cyrus changes his foreign policy. Why? Because God spoke. It's wonderful to be in touch with God, isn't it? It's wonderful to be the people of God, to be God's people. And so, yes, yeah, Cyrus says, you better go back and rebuild the house of the Lord. So I found myself, when I was awakened by the Spirit, that would have been my experience, I found myself very drawn to books like Ezra. For me, my personal testimony was I was an unsaved pagan, very pagan, typical, typical pagan and uh, my parents were not Christians we never had a Bible in our house we have no church connections at all, so I'm just a typical pagan, and my sister goes to live in London Billy Graham came to London she comes home one night and I come home Saturday night been out boozing somewhere, she said can I speak to you sure, what? I've become a Christian, I've never ever heard anybody say that before so, I should become a Christian. Then even more peculiarly, she said, I've been born again. I thought, what on earth are you talking about? And that night, after a long conversation, where she told me why Jesus died, and he's alive again, I knelt in my home and became a Christian. And, uh, I, you know, I was saved. But I, was, I couldn't get out of my old world. Uh, I loved that old sinful world. So I started going to church every Sunday. Um, I was always there on Sunday morning, but I was in the world the rest of the time, totally. And uh, I was all kinds of mischief. And then one Sunday I'm in church, and uh, the guy preached. He preached, I would think, out of context now, but God's favor is kind, isn't it? He preached on that verse, you did run well, who has hindered you that you no longer obey the truth? And I... It was, I mean, it was a big church, 700 members, uh, a bar, big Baptist, successful, terrific preacher, a lovely man. And, uh, but that morning I, I felt like God said to me, I want your life, I want it now, and I won't speak to you about this again. And it scared the life out of me. I, I knew I was a Christian, but I knew I was a very bad Christian. 
and I knew I was a bad Christian because I always felt I was being told off to preach you know, often it got at me but I never changed my lifestyle but that morning I thought wow I've got to change my life and I, I gave up my old lifestyle it was very painful I lost all my friends it was like dying my unsaved parents said what's going on with you getting religious what are you doing and uh, you know I just I had to try and learn what Christianity was all about and I thank God I used to commute to London every day on the train and an older lady praise God for older ladies saw that I kind of was changing and she said have you read this book well I was a, not a reader I, I wasn't interested in reading and, uh, but I used to commute every day and I used to play cards three card brag, make money but I went and moved back down the train and started reading and I read Jungle Pilot which was the book she gave me which was the story of the pilot that flew the five Ecuador martyrs into their death if you know that story, Jamelia and those guys I mean it gripped me I thought man what a life and I gave it back to him and said, have you read this one, Jim Elliot, Through Gates of Splendor? Oh, great, have you read this? I'm Shadow of the Almighty. She's re I'm reading mostly missionary biography. And it absolutely stirs me. And so I find my way into church, which is weird. And, uh, and then I think, I need power. I didn't need power to be a backslider, but now I'm a Christian. I need to be, I need power. I get filled with the Spirit. And whoa, something's come alive. And my old pastor used to preach, or at least he used to say often at the end of Sunday mornings or Sundays, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together. In other words, be here next Sunday. Um, but he didn't quote the whole verse. Because it says, don't forsake the gathering of yourself together, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's what the verse says. But he only quoted, don't forsake the gathering. He didn't say, encourage one another, because to be honest, we didn't do anything for one another. Uh, we weren't doing one another stuff. We were thanking this beautiful pastor for his word. You shake his hand at the door and go home. And to be honest, it was easy to be anonymous. There's not some 700 strangers there and uh, you listen to this great preacher and uh, you go home we weren't doing any of the over 40 one another things in the New Testament, not one of them encourage one another, pray for one another confess your faults to one another admonish one another, speak the truth in love to one another the church is a one another community but we weren't, we were a good Baptist church where the preaching was wonderful and the man of God was a wonderful man but when I got filled with the spirit which was to be to me it was the passion to be a witness that's why I felt I need power to witness it says you should be witnesses I wasn't looking for anything church or in those days you apologized for church we used to go out and do evangelism on the streets of Brighton and uh, I go, we do, we do a coffee bar right in the heart of Brighton and we fish them in, have a coffee and then we witness to them and preach to them and they say, ah church, say, no, 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 don't look at the church look at Jesus, that was, that was our language very common language for evangelistic keen Christians at the time don't look at the church and you kind of wake up to, is that a biblical thought? 
but that was common. Don't look at the church. We know churches, but look at Jesus. You're going to find fault with Jesus. That seemed to be the answer. But I began to get stirred. We don't do anything for one another. And when we got filled with the Spirit, and I had the joy of bringing a number of the young people in this Baptist church into life in the Spirit, we started going on the streets. But what we found was when we gathered to pray together, it was another, a dimension I'd never known before. The sense of the immediacy of God's presence. I thought, wow, we, this is amazing. When we, when we start worshipping together, it's very spontaneous. In those days, very spontaneous. Uh, and you'd be worshipping, and then you may remember the chorus of a hymn. He didn't remember the whole hymn, but we knew choruses of hymns because you sang hymns and they had, some of them had choruses. So you just sing the chorus. So choruses, they became popular. People began in meetings, spontaneous little meetings, and you'd sing the choruses of hymns sometimes. Didn't remember the whole hymn, but you remember the chorus. And so spontaneous worship, and sometimes someone would speak a tongue and interpret, whoa, what's going on here? This was my journey. So what happened? We're going, whoa, we're coming into something new, dynamic. Uh, and it didn't quite fit in my terrific Baptist church. That when you do that, it doesn't work. And, and so it was a kind of a stirring in my heart about church. I wasn't, I wasn't looking for that. I was looking for power to witness. That's what I was looking for. But I found something more. Something more is happening. And you begin to wake up to, hey, does God something want something more? A church that is kind of one anothering? That we, we see one of the things I found strange was my my outside of Christ fellowship with my friends, which I didn't want to lose. I've been with for years, you know, my teenage years. We were very close. So we'd talk half the night. You'd share your cigarettes, you'd share your drinks, you'd play cards, you'd you know. You talk about everything and anything. You go to church, and nobody knew anybody. I had never found anything like the fellowship that I'd had in the world. This comradeship, this closeness, this love for one another. Church didn't know any of that. It was going to hear this terrific preacher. And I began to think, surely church should be better, shouldn't it? We should have something better than our, our, I mean, our, probably our conversation was pretty disgusting most of the time, but it was close, and we really cared for one another. And it was only years, only years later, like I say, hey, we surpassed it. We, we found fellowship, wonderful fellowship. But it took time, it took a battle, and, 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 uh, and for us we began to start house churches. And initially, that, that's what started happening. That's uh, some of our early history. That people began to get filled with the Spirit, loved the presence of God, still loved the Word of God, but loved the presence of God like we'd never known before. And people started meeting in homes. And, uh, and then we began to engage with the Spirit in a much more spontaneous way. And lots of things changed overnight by meeting in a home. Because there's no back row mentality. You're in a home. There's no mister. No, you know, you become pals. You, and you're there because you want to be there. And it's so much changed overnight by meeting in a home. Not lots, not everything, but lots changed. 
you're there because you want to be there and there's no organized meeting we don't have a hymn board which is what we used to have now when we worship things started happening spontaneously in the room and there was a sense of I wonder what will happen this week which never used to happen in my Baptist church because you know it was predictable what was going to happen and we're all waiting for the preach that's all really I used to go and hear Lloyd-Jones when I was in London I was in London for three years I mean Lloyd-Jones I mean ah, preaching like you've never heard wonderful I used to sit there thinking if Spurgeon was greater than this I don't know how because he was breathtaking but the preliminaries were preliminaries you sang three hymns that was a waste of time we're waiting for this guy to preach and uh, uh, we have had meetings where hey things that happen in the meetings I mean I, but for me this was all kind of happening and I, I left work and so on and I, I went to Bible college but while I was at Bible college I went to a new church where I learned a lot I learned more at this new church than I did at Bible college far more and uh, the gifts of the spirit were rampant it was a really lively charismatic church it was a new church to be honest for me I went to the Pentecostals to have hands laid on me in 1962 because I, I knew a Pentecostal he was bright witness and I, I, but Pentecostal churches in the south of England at the time were pretty legalistic and cold not terribly attractive and I thought I don't quite understand this but anyway this church in London was dynamic and then people coming in from all over London a meeting in a, a room in an accountancy firm just north of Charing Cross it was very informal and uh, people were sitting and then some were sitting on the floor because there weren't enough chairs and I remember once on a Sunday it was on my birthday and my birthday came around and someone had given me a birthday card and in the card was one of my favourite verses you know you've got favourite verses it means a lot to me and someone not knowing that had written that verse in my I thought oh thank you Lord wonderful and I had a tear off calendar a Keswick I think I tore off and wow there's another one of my favourite verses on my birthday oh Lord thank you so much these two wonderful things so I go off to church and it used to, used to start I think about 9.30 and it went on till it finished which was usually kind of getting on for one then we'd eat sandwiches together it was just unrushed in the presence of God and uh, I want this, this, this birthday I, I, I'm at treasure and it's breaking a bread time and someone passes me the, the plate of bread and there's a guy on the floor here and, I, and I'm kind of stepping over him to give the bread to the next person and he's got his eyes closed and he starts prophesying and in the prophecy he quotes both verses it's talking to my son and I'm standing there he doesn't know I'm standing he's got his eyes closed and I thought God you are in this place and I thought that's what I want I want to build a church like that God is in this place where you just know oh, God's here and we saw healings there we saw I mean one guy sang out a tongue uh, in Calypso style, style and sung the interpretation in Calypso style it was like what's going to happen next week it was wonderful and uh, it, I, I got an appetite for church and the preaching was always very very biblical a mixture of the presence and the word presence of the word so that, first for me that was a personal journey 
And when uh, we got married, we went to an evangelical church. I was invited to become the first pastor of an evangelical church on the south coast, a place called Seaford, tiny town. And I said to them, um, they were just coming together, evangelicals who went out of town on Sundays because there was no evangelical church in town. And uh, so they, they used to meet to pray for the China Inland Mission. And, uh, and then they said, why do, we, why do we go out to different churches? Why don't we start a church? So there were evangelicals starting a new church in town. And I had preached for them. And they said, would you become our first pastor? And I said, well, I just want to share that I've been filled with the Spirit. If I became your pastor, that's the way I'd like to lead you. And they said, uh, okay, we, we, we know you preach the Bible. So you lead us from the Bible, we'll follow you which was easier said than done. <laughs> uh, I would say it took us four years to turn that church. And, and, and after four years, it was a dynamic, charismatic church. It, we, I mean, you, we changed the whole seating arrangement. When I first started, I was in a suit, four hymns on the wall, and we marched in, and, all, and it was all very formal. And then gradually, we opened up the worship. Gradually, gradually. And... Uh, and we became very spontaneous. We rearranged the seating so that we're facing all in together. We're in this thing together. And it, it happened little by little. And it became a very charismatic meeting. I mean, new songs would come in the meeting. And uh, it, was, it was great. And then I got invited out to a guy's home. I'd never made him a phone call. Would you come to my home? And uh, we have a midweek Wednesday night. I want to have a Wednesday night kind of Bible study. Would you come and speak? Okay, okay. So I went, we had a good time, we laid hands on some people, some people got filled with the Spirit. They said, would you come every week? I said, no, I'm a pastor. And they said, uh, if we meet every week, would you come every other week? So I said, yeah, okay, I'll do that. So I took a car full, that was a good discipling thing, and we did, and this, this meeting grew and grew and grew, until I'm standing in the door frame, talking into the room and into the hall and up the stairs, literally, that grew and grew and grew. And then a couple from there moved to another town and did the same. They gathered people in their homes and said, would you come to our So I went alternate Wednesdays to these alternate homes. And then <laughs> at my home church, Alex Buchanan, does anybody remember that name? Mm-hmm. Prophet, a prophet. He came to speak in Eastbourne, the next town. And the guys phoned me and said, Alex is free Sunday morning, would you like him? So I said, oh yeah. So I'd heard him preach, but he didn't know me. And he came, and uh, there were people in the room. When we, we, began, we began to open the worship, but going through those funny days where to raise your hands, what are you doing with your hands raised in church? And you're clapping in church, what are you doing? It's like, so we're trying to bring this thing through, little by little. And you think, why does the irresponsible woman get tongues? And why doesn't the bank manager get it? And why doesn't the headmaster get it? And, you know, because it's so easy for people to be against this. And we were trying to, that's what, every Sunday we're going, wonder what's going to happen this week. And it was quite scary. And, uh, and there was a guy who used to try and kill it every time it began to get warm. And, and the worship began to happen and, and, and he, he, he'd say let us read Isaiah chapter 53 he was a man of sorrows <laughs> and acquainted with grief like clap your hands after that if you can 
I'll kill this. And he used to pray horizontal prayers, like, I thank you, O Lord, that. And then he'd preach. And it's like, oh, wow. Anyway, we were going through this. We you know, go each Sunday, oh, God, help us. Because some breakthroughs, some setbacks. You know, that was, we went through that for four years, I guess. And uh, uh, Alex came. And in the middle of the worship, he began to prophesy. Well, we would begin to get little prophesies, you know, flowers opening and stuff. And uh, it was... It, he, he prophesied and he said, I'd never heard anything like it. He said, uh, you who are opposing the work of my spirit in this place, unless you repent, I will remove you. Young men, prepare yourselves for ministry. Because my hand is increasingly on my servant in this place. He will go in and out. In this place, he will grow less and less. You will grow more and more. Young men, prepare yourselves for ministry. It's like, we've never had a prophecy like that. It's like, whoa. What? Anyway, he preached and the rest of it. And we're walking home. He's coming home to lunch with Wendy and me. So I said, who told you about our church? So he said, no, I don't know anything about your church. He said, during the worship, he said, I, was, I saw myself on a beach. I saw the tide coming up. He said, I saw three men trying to stop it. And then he laughed. He said, they can't stop what God's doing here. I thought it was all right for you to laugh. <laughs> but, I mean, that, that happened. And then a few, I mean, it just seemed like a very short time afterwards, the horizontal prayer fell dead in his garden. I mean, it wasn't a young man, but he wasn't desperately old. And then one of the elders who was, to be honest, opposing what we were doing I, 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 we, Wendy and I were away on holiday we came back and they took us aside and said we've got some terrible news for you and he had run off with another woman and left his wife and then a little later another one who was also an elder who had a really kind of lively temper one day blew it completely and left and, and it was like the handbrake came off the young men stepped up and the church changed and uh, that was quite dramatic for us we, we kind of broke through and, uh, and uh, we, we became that kind of charismatic church I spoke about but I was beginning to get invited out as this prophecy had said and so gradually we're seeing house churches at first just one or two and then I'm, in the end I'm going to like eight places from Hastings through to Worthing and East Grinstead and Crawley and places you don't know Sussex, so you don't know these towns. But gradually, and then once a month, we'd all go on a Monday night to Hove Town Hall. And that's, the, well, first of all, a hotel, then the Brighton uh, Pavilion, then the Town Hall. And in the end, we're gathering a thousand. And there's momentum. It's starting it's to happen. And, and all the time, this journey is making me think, does God want a completely different kind of church? And it's not just he wants house churches, that wasn't the thought. Is it possible that God wants a different kind of church altogether? And um, I, I'd, I'd never thought of that before. I, you know, just following our noses, really. Oh, it's great being together when the presence of the Spirit, isn't this great? And then you begin to think, see, my pastor used to preach that he was kind of a bit of a dispensationalist. And he, he used to say that the book of Revelation, there's seven letters at the beginning, and, and, and each letter represents a church age, he would say. 
and the last one was Laodicean which is the seventh one and he would say we're in the seventh one it's lukewarm, the church is lukewarm Jesus is knocking the door if anyone would open their voice, open their heart he'll come in so there was no hope for the church and, th- and in those days you know, late great planet earth Tim LaHaye books are all about Jesus is coming it's, uh, the hope was Jesus is coming and I don't despise that at all but that, that was the hope and then I began to rethink well, what's something happening in the church people are getting filled with the spirit churches are coming alive and I read the Puritan hope and, and I saw in that book it's a great book that the Puritans believed for a glorious church yeah. and they quote lots of scriptures <laughs> about it that, God, that, that of the increase of his government there'd be no end and at the end and the last days the mountain of the house of the Lord will rise above all the mountains and all the nations will flow to it and it's wow God wants and then I read Watchman Lee the glorious church I thought God wants a glorious church yeah. so all these things are happening and we're trying to get churches to uh, a being like that but then behind it a bigger vision God wants a great God is after a great church and so my eschatology took quite a big change to believe God for a glorious church restored church and that, that was that was what led us <laughs> sorry it's a long preface that's what led us <laughs> into that's what led us into books like Ezra because you thought is that, does the scripture talk about things being restored and then you began to think oh yes it does Ezra, Nehemiah the masses of Isaiah Zechariah, Haggai talks about things, being, things that were lost being recovered and that's what Ezra 1, I read that passage God says look I'm going to restore I'm going to, I'm going to bring you back back to the land back to the presence of God which is the big big issue back to the presence of God because that was God's original intention anyway that he should be with us we should be his people enjoying his presence uh, and so church has to kind of take off its wrappings and be the people of God and so the, the passion to see the church restored so for me the fact that I never kind of hear the word restoration being used much anymore in our world the New Frontiers world I don't often hear the word anymore I'm saddened by that because I think that, that was the passion initially yeah. a restored church a diff- not wanting to be different but wanting to be biblical where the presence of God was present, the thing and the spirit, spiritual things happening and the whole you know we started uh, we joked that our Bibles fell open at, at, at Ephesians chapter 4 because we were so often in there coming to a mature man the fullness of the stature of Christ apostles, prophets, evangelists wow and so we, we were on so frequently in Ephesians 4 we joked about it, our Bibles fall open at Ephesians 4 because we're always looking at it every member finding their place every, you know, each member working properly coming to a fullness of stature a mature man whoa glorious church and that's, that's what got the ball rolling that's what started us uh, restoration and so I found myself frequently in the book of Ezra, Nehemiah I preached in Nehemiah at the Bible weeks and we rebuild the city, rebuild the house that was a passion and, that, and so just that's why Ezra became so key, to fulfill the word of the Lord that God had given Jeremiah, right let's go back 
And then I'll, I'll just pick up verse 3. Whoever there is among his people. Right, that's another phrase. We are his people. And uh, God, God has a people that he was committed to. And that, that thought of his, having a people really stirred me. I, I wrote a thing in the back of my Bible, I guess years ago. Alan Stibbs, theologian of a previous generation, he said this. The chief end of God in the creation of man was to have a people of whom he could say, I am theirs, they are mine. There is in scripture no phrase more frequent or more fundamental in its disclosure of the divine mind than variations of the declaration, I will be to them a God, they shall be to me a people. He said that's the most frequently stated thing in the Bible. And sometimes with it, and I will dwell in the midst of them. God wants a people that are recognizably his people. Now in the Old Testament it's Israel, plainly. In the New Testament it's Israel internationalized. It's not replacement theology, it's internationalized Israel. As we haven't time to get into that whole thing now. But God wants a people. And he said, you only have I loved. Deuteronomy 7, you only have I loved. He's a pe he has a people. He's not, a, he's not appearing in, in Ecuador or Russia or... You know, it's, this is the only people. They're my people. And, and, and I've redeemed you through blood. I've brought you up. And now that, all that language is brought into the New Testament. You're my chosen people, royal generation. It's all brought into the New Testament. So we are his people. And, I, and I, again, I love working on the Moses book because you love it when Balaam, <laughs> Balaam, sort of renegade prophet, is hired to curse Israel. And he can't. And I love the prophecies that Balaam gives. They're amazing prophecies. Uh, I don't know who he is, really. He, he, he's, a, he's hired to curse. And he said, I can't. <laughs> God is not a man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should repent. His breast, I can't reverse it. And he says things like this. There are people who dwell apart. There are people who dwell apart. And he's got, you know, the shout of the king is among them. And, and this is that amazing people. You can't stop them. And then you find that in the New Testament, Titus says, he gave himself to purify for himself a people. A people zealous for good works. 1 Peter 2.9, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Even Jesus in John 17 says, I'm not praying for the world. I'm not praying for the world. I pray for these whom you have given me and those who will believe through their testimony. It's this people. God wants this people. He wants a people for himself. A new creation. A people in Christ. Now that ought to stir and excite us. And then you get into Ephesians, you know, a new creation. Jew and Gentiles together, male and female, slave and free. This is a phenomenal new people until Ephesians, what a mature body. Uh, people that are a pe God wants, God is fascinated by a people that will ultimately become the bride of his son. He's seeking a bride for his son, a people, one people, knit together, a unique people on the planet. And he'll give apostles and prophets to shape that. Prophets, teachers, and so on. 
that, that people thing. And so, you see, I think you get in the book of Acts, this people, 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, it doesn't say they were saved, it says they were added. 3,000 are added. Added to what? This body that Jesus had raised up. These 20, or 12, 120, they're added to this people. They become the people of God. And 5,000 added. They're people. And it says this, they were together. It says it again and again. They were together. They were together in the temple. They were together from house to house. This people, this recognisable people. You could be added to it if you know how to get baptised and respond. You could be added. You're added to this people. God wants a people. They were together. And you always get the feeling, you know, they were together. House to house, temple, they're together. And it's like each day they may have gone out to their job and then come back and be the people. Unlike today, where people live in the culture and visit church. And maybe the COVID thing woke us up to that. That no, no, they reside in the world. Their culture is shaping their thinking. Culture is changing all the time. And they, but they go into church sometimes. You know, they're there most weeks if they can be. It's not like, here's a people. Recognisable people. Maybe God will use persecution to make it clear this is a people. He wants a people. And uh, that's the thing that comes here. The people of God, they are, even after having been through Babylon, they are his people. They've lost their identity. Although they were told to stay there, be a blessing to them, Jeremiah 29, you hear quoted so many times, bless the people, bless the... That was the season, 70 years, but they're still God's people. And the call comes, come on, let's rebuild the house. And so that's the next phrase, right? So the next phrase, rebuild the house of God. A, a God wants a house. And again, those were themes that excited us at the beginning. God wants a house, a different kind of church. And uh, where his presence is. Uh, when, when his presence came at Sinai. And at one point, he said to Moses, because they made the golden calf, he said, look, I'm not, I'm not coming with you. Uh, I'll send my angel, you can go into the land, but I'm not coming. You're a rebellious people. And Moses, that wonderful intercessor, says, if your presence doesn't go with us, we're not going anywhere. Because it's your presence, listen, <laughs> it's your presence that makes us distinct. That's what makes us distinct. Your presence. If we don't have your presence, we're not going anywhere. I hate church without presence. I hate it. I'm not just bored with it, I hate it. And, and God wants church with his presence. And we shouldn't settle for anything else. And Moses said, I'm not going anywhere without your presence. So that should be a passion with us. To, it's restoring his house to have his presence. Gordon Fee, who died a month or two back, wrote a wonderful book, God, Paul the, Paul the Spirit and the People of God. It's a wonderful book. It's kind of a pricey of his bigger book, uh, God's Empowering Presence. But in some ways it's punchier. But it's another it's a people of his presence. And, and we should be a people of his presence. So 
they begin, they, you know, they start building because they want this house where his glory was. God's glory came to the tent. God's glory came to the tabernacle. And when they had to rebuild the house because it had been destroyed at Jeremiah's time, rebuild the house. And, and Haggai prophesies and says, here are two reasons, Haggai gives them. One, that I might appear in my glory. And two, that I might take pleasure in it. The house is for God's pleasure. And it's the house is for where God appears in his glory. So for me, these are uppermost in our hearts as we build church. That God appears. There are times in the meetings, yeah, in our meetings, has to be in our meetings, where oh, God is here. Not just times, but like every week, why not? That God, God is here. God's presence is here. Uh, and, and, and that should be a priority for us. That we, we are passionate about that. We, we must have his presence. Otherwise, we're not distinct. We're just a group of people with a bit of a religious ten tendency. But to have the presence of God is God's promise to us. He will manifest his presence. But we, if we, I, feel, I fear that we're making shortcuts. I feel COVID has had impact on that. So meetings are a bit more clipped because what well, was on the screen and we have to get out and wow, what's happening? Uh, time used to be not quite so relevant because we want the presence of God. Uh, now we well, have to fit in. And uh, so for me, I, th I'm, 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 I am concerned. I mean, it's not universal by any means that God's doing wonderful stuff but I, I'm often in and out of different places and I feel we're a bit more time conscious we're shorter, don't make it too long people don't like it ah, that wasn't where we started and uh, you know I used to go and we'd sing three hymns from the you know the organist chose hymns now you know the guitarist chooses hymns and uh, it's not so dissimilar and, and sometimes I put up a tweet the other day someone mentioned to me as we were coming in I put this about three days ago I, I put up a tweet saying please save us from boring songs <laughs> <laughs> and I I have never had so much comeback uh, I got tweeted, retweeted I also put it on Facebook and I got I think it's like 270 things coming back people saying yeah, please help, help, help. And I think, oh, it's out there. Hundreds of our people, I say our people, people, I presume our people, <laughs> saying, yes, please, please, let's have songs that say something. And a song doesn't have to come out in the last year. We can go back. We have great Wesleyan songs, why not? Uh, there's no reason, it doesn't have to be current. Uh, it doesn't have to be current but this song we often see stuff you think what am I saying this for and what, where's God I'm, I'm, I want to get my gaze on God I want to be thrilled with God I want to be God centred and so many songs are me centred and I think come on and I think where's the I think elders most of you elders don't give over worship to some guy who plays a guitar you know, he may not be of elder calling, but he's taking half your meeting. He may be, he may be a fabulous guy. Praise God for those who are. But sometimes 
It's a guy who plays a guitar, who's taken half the meeting now. He chooses what you do for half a meeting. And it's, it's so similar to what I came out from. With the Baptist Church, when the, you know, there were three hymns that were already... We sang them. And the expectation of meeting with God, I think, wow, where's it gone? And so I, I just, I feel quite a <laughs> burden about it. That the sense of glory, the sense of awe, the sense of wonder, um, I fear it's drifting. Not everywhere, not everywhere. But often, often. And it doesn't have to be brilliant. I'm not looking for brilliant you know, musicians who are brilliant, that isn't the point. It's authentic worship from the heart. Yes. That is the key. And saying things that I would say to God. I remember hearing Barney Coombs say many years ago, worship is saying to God what I want to say to God. And I, I see this, I thought, oh, I don't want to say that to God. I, I worship quite a little bit at home on my own. I would never choose, I would never say that to God. It's not relevant. I want to sing things that they're full of truth God is looking for those who worship in spirit and truth and some of our early songs were literally scripture set to music yes. they, were, they were just scripture, full of scripture full of, and now we get poetic stuff and I think, oh anyway <laughs> <laughs> I put on my tweet Please deliver us from NAF songs. And, uh, and an American put, put, put on and said, I don't know what NAF means, but I know what you mean. <laughs> so, we, uh, I think the recovery of worship is one of the big things that happened through whatever one want to call it, the charismatic awakening, whatever you want to call it. Worship was one of the features. It was part of it. it was part of, a new liberty to worship, a new desire to worship. Whereas we used to sing three or four hymns. Which, I mean, if, if it was And Can It Be, you could go up and down on your toes a bit. But I mean, it was, you just, it was, you just sang these hymns. But, you know, I, I remember being in meetings where after, after, you know, worship was over and people would say, I, I remember, I can literally remember worship set leader saying, we sit down now, and I thought, I don't know if I can. We're so, it's just that, Lord, you're saying, this is so wonderful. When he just said, sit down, I thought, I don't know if I can. You're here, Lord, this is wonderful. I don't want to lose that. It's passionate for me. So, we want to rebuild the house, the house, the church. So, for me, it's the local church. Jesus only used the word church twice. I will build my church, universal. I'm going to do it. God knows all the different denominations where he knows where his people are. I will build my church. And then he said this, if you've got problems, tell it to your brother. If you won't receive it, take some witnesses. If that won't happen, take it to the church. What church? Well, the church where you live, the local church. So there's only two churches in the Bible, the world church and the local church. Uh, and so we, we want, I want wonderful local churches and wonderful world church. And so when I hear about hundreds being saved in North Punjab, North India, with charismatic life and they can't kind of stop it, it's bursting out everything, I think, yes, that's part of us, part of the world church. Well, it's not called New Frontiers or anything, but God is marvellously working and with signs and wonders. And uh, I think I want to be part of that. I want to be part of that wonderful, wonderful church. God help us. All right, last word there. It says, 
you who are survivors every survivor verse 4 let him get up and go every survivor and uh, the survivors are extraordinary people um, you know you get news of some terrible event maybe it's a flood or an earthquake or so our, our, our televisions are news programs there's the actual event and then like, a couple of days later the survivors we've all seen it uh, I was I don't know how I got away but I got, I got out uh, and uh, that sense I've I've been given my life back survivors are kind of unique people they've been given their life back again I saw a, a documentary once on the blitz and there's this fire a huge fire and the guy's holding the hose and it's cold it's kind of freezing and burning at the same time and he's been there for hours holding this hose and water's gushing out and there's still fiery fire and he's standing there and then he is relieved by another guy and, and he kind of walks away and the guy comes and stands there and the wall falls on him and kills it and the guy walks away and I survived I survived I got my life back well how come I survived and people who lived through the war I don't know about you but my, my, my Wendy's father was in the Burma war and you couldn't get him to talk about it and you hear that it's hard to get because they saw people die they survived and they don't want to talk about it Melvin Bragg wrote a marvellous book about it a uh, novel but a story of a guy who came out of the Burma war and it's like you can't like I survived I got my life back why me? Why? and so if you saw Saving Private Ryan it's an amazing movie and at the end the guy says tell me that I was worth it tell me that to give it I, I got my life back and I, I feel you know, we believers we're survivors we got through and, and these guys if you look at the previous chapter uh, from Ezra 1 you go to 2 Chronicles 20, 36 you get the, the war I mean it's horrific war horrific war but they survived and then they survived exile now you've survived come on you've got your life and I feel hey we're, every believer is a survivor because Jesus died we're like Barabbas we walk out free why did we get free but we've been given our life back again I want my life to count I don't want to waste it because I feel hey you gave me your life back again and, and, and so survivors are massively privileged and uh, I remember when we used to sing a song when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion we were like those who dream which comes from this period the psalm because it says at one point one of the psalms it says we were captive in Babylon they said sing us some of the songs of Zion they said how can we sing the songs of Zion in a strange land and then comes the release then the, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion we were like those who dream our hard mouths were filled with laughter our tongues were singing we used to sing that chorus yes we, we come out from captivity we began to see grace complete life changer the message of grace never seen it before we were just rules and regulations we suddenly saw grace the Holy Spirit wow God's turned our captivity it's like a new life I don't want to waste it and so I, I, I don't want to see it drifting away uh, and so I want to pray God help us help us 
and uh, the com promise comes the glory of this latter house shall surpass the glory of the former I want to I want to see that I want to see the glory of the latter house surpassing what has been I want to see a glorious church I want to see something that doesn't fade into ordinariness predictability I I I, I I'm I've got grandchildren in their teens I hear the questions they ask me the battering they take at school when they're the only Christian in their class and they get battered I'm like, you, what? you don't believe because the culture has moved so rapidly and now they're the only one in the class who won't do this and won't do that and, whoa, if they don't have a touch from God I don't know how they cope if they don't know a supernatural God a God who makes them excited they'll give in, the culture will disciple that generation because it will be too hard to stand against but if they've had a meeting with God if they've had a meeting with God I was preaching in East Anglia last weekend, we preached on the baptism of the Spirit some people got healed, some people got filled with the Spirit I had a letter the next day from my son Tim who's uh, an elder in the uh, Ipswich church he said one of the elders said his daughter was there, she went home prayed alone and found herself speaking in tongues and can't stop laughing this is a girl of about 14 and wow, she's had her meeting with Jesus she's not going to be so much at the mercy of the voices that come against her at school if, if we've not had our own experience of God it's a load of rules you have to keep and it's pretty miserable because you're isolated the temptation to go with the flow will be massive and I, and I think the pressure's never been so great as it is in the schools now with the culture that's now so distorted with, I mean, my daughter my granddaughter's got a friend who wants to be called a boy and the headmistress says go along with it and she's trying to befriend her and help her and I mean, it's so weird and so we need the presence of God and I think we need something more than words we need power and so we mustn't abandon those things that we've began to find we need to press in so I guess the last phrase it says those whose spirits were stirred let those whose spirits were stirred everyone whose spirit God stirred to go up and rebuild the house I feel God stir our spirits that we we want to see a glorious house and uh, you know the word from Haggai take courage the presence of the Lord is with you so I come, that's the word I, I want to share most of all while I'm with you uh, that's from my heart I believe God wants us to fulfill his calling to get a, a vision of a glorious church to make practical adjustments maybe in our local church where adjustments might be needed and to get that vision before the saints that this is the most important thing happening planet Earth it's the most important thing happening in England today you know, today is the tax statement but this, church, this nation is going down the tubes fast and the only hope is the church always has been the only hope is the church and so we need vibrant churches that impact our nation that are empowered by the spirit and the presence of God amongst us Amen, Amen. so let's just pray and we'll more, yeah, more or less there Father, thank you. I want to thank you so much for this.
room of men and women yeah. Lord setting aside time because they want to serve you I thank you for their heart of concern and passion and desire thank you for what makes being here more important than being anywhere else at the moment thank you you've done that in our hearts Lord we are your children motivated by you we long for our churches to be full of your glory we long father to have meetings with you that thrill and excite us and Lord, instructed by God-given truth so please Lord would you bless your word to us help us Lord in every one of the churches we represent that we might really glorify you father and see you at work keep us courageous Lord we know uh, we're not sufficient of ourselves but our sufficiency comes from you who makes us sufficient hallelujah so glorify your name in and through us we pray Lord in Jesus name Amen. Amen.